why don't we do a breath here? Okay, everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. Okay? I want you to reach your hands out like this. Everybody reach your hands out like this. And there should be some of your shoulders in front of you. Okay, grab a hold of them and give them a nice little rub. Come on, get close enough to rub the shoulders. Come on, do it. Show your servant. Show your servant. Okay, everybody stop. Stop. No, stay standing. Everybody stop. Stay standing. Stay standing. Everybody up. Up, up, up. Come on, everybody up. Now, turn around. Everybody turn around because you see that certain rows didn't get anything. The back row didn't get any rubs. Turn around, give them a rub, Somebody, a little, nice little nice rub there. There you go. That's great. Now you can find a seat. Enough rubbing. Enough, enough encouragement there. Oh, my, oh, my. The things we do at this church, huh? You know, next week we're going to do foot washing, so we'll be having... That's more fun, but it's more difficult, okay? You guys will be starting to say, Pastor, just, just give back rubs from now on. Every single Sunday, no foot washing. Hey, God desires to do a change in our lives, and everybody here needs a change in your life. I need it. Each one of you need it. God desires to do something special, something enlightening, something exciting, something moving in your life, and I have no idea what it is. Okay, He does, but I don't. You need to. You need to. And today, what we're going to talk about is the next step in our journey in Colossians. We're in Colossians chapter 3. And Paul has been setting up this structure so that we can understand what the Christian life is all about. What it is all about. So take out your outlines. Take out your outlines. And we'll remind ourselves of a few things that we've done here. Now, Eric took my ladder and he put it in the back, but I brought it back here while he was gone. So it's up here now. And that's not true. He didn't do that, you know. I didn't tell him I was going to use it today. It was, it was already in the back. So we have talked about a couple different things that Paul tries to help us understand in relationship to our relationship with God, what Christianity is and what it isn't. So in chapter 1, he discusses the issue that I put in, do versus done, okay? Do versus done. When somebody comes up to you and says, what's the difference between religion and Christianity? If I was to give you the most succinct statement I've ever heard in 40 years of Christian life, hey, actually a little more than that, but that's okay, we won't get into it. In 40 years of Christian life, it's this, do versus done. Religion is all about what? Do, D-O, it's spelled D-O. Religion is spelled duo. What can you do to satisfy God? What can you do to satisfy God's requirements? What can you do to make yourself look better? But Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. As much as pastors sometimes hate that, okay? And the reason we do sometimes is because we really like to get you to do things. But here's the truth, the marvelous, wonderful truth that he talks about throughout chapter 1, trying to clarify, and he says, he says, Christianity is about D-O-N-E, what Christ has done for you. It's all been done. It is finished. The final words of Jesus gave us the clarification of what everything was about and what he was doing and what had taken place and what would come forth in the future. It's all about what's been done for you. So we find ourselves giving glory to God because nothing can fall upon ourself. We can do nothing to earn our salvation. We can do nothing to gain greater favor with God. He says, this has all been done for you. And that's chapter 1. Then he moves to chapter 2 and discusses the next issue that comes into play here. 
And the next issue is what I call religion versus relationship. Religion versus relationship. And in that chapter, he talks about the simple fact that growth, growth is not an event. It's a process. As you come to know him, as you learn to, to walk in him, then you discover the wonder and the glory of Christianity. The wonder and the glory of a relationship with Jesus. Did my mic go off? Oh, good. Then it's great. Okay, so this is the wondrous thing. This take, he, says, he says this incredible thing is that it's not about a new set of religious rules. It's not about a new way of getting to God. It's all about a relationship with Jesus as he invites you to the Father and you become part of this wondrous, glorious family. Now, the reason he hits both of these points and tries to help us understand is because we all tend to try to come up with different kinds of ladders. And ladders simply express the idea that we have to take certain steps in order to get closer to God. That the more I take, the closer I get. That God looks upon me as special if I've done these things. Many of you come to me and say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me because you're higher up on the ladder. And you guys are laughing, but you really believe that. You believe that. Most of you believe that. You're higher up on the ladder, Pastor. So if you pray for me, God will hear it. And I always tell you, no, have my wife pray for you. That one works. And we're laughing, but I'm not kidding. There's something interesting in how God works in relationship to prayer and responsiveness to it. Yes, God will respond to you as I pray for you, but he seems to really respond to you when my wife prays for you. So that being said, don't inundate her today after the service, okay? Do versus done, religion versus relationship. Then he moves into chapter 3, and he tries to help us understand that we have got to learn how to walk in him in the same way that we received him. But now you have to grasp the simple truth that is so hard to grab a hold of, and that is this, that you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. That you no longer live, but Christ lives in and through you. That life is about understanding and knowing and seeing in Christ. And that everything flows out of that particular position. That as you are lifted up, you will be able both to see what is going on and to act in a manner that is in uh, complete accordance with God's wishes and God's wills and God's desire. He says, as you do this, you will literally... Jesus has changed you. He's taken your heart and transformed it. Now let it continue to be transformed. You must be lifted up. So the, the primary verse for today is out of chapter 3, verse 1. And he says this. Since you have been raised with Christ. Say that with me. Since you have been raised with Christ, be lifted up. Everybody, be lifted up. One more time. Be lifted up. You see, this is about vision. It's about vision. And what Paul is trying to teach us is that our struggle is not with reality. Our struggle is with what we see. You don't recognize what's happened to you, and you keep trying to build up new ideas. You come with a series of sophistry, fine-sounding arguments in why you either are or aren't living out the Christian life. You have all these rational lies as to why this is happening or not happening to you. You can be like, well, I won't say who it was, but somebody recently said, why is God so mad at me? Why are all these things happening to me? And I look at it and I go, oh my goodness, you don't get it at all, do you? You don't understand. God's not mad at you. God's not unhappy with you. You are choosing things that will bring destruction into your life. 
And he desperately wants to teach you how to gain instruction and then how to live life in such a way so that you can experience more and more of Christ. So in the midst of suffering, you find yourself growing and developing. In the midst of whatever the world throws at you, the actual response is positive. That if I gain cancer, that can turn into a wonderful testimony for God. That if I break my leg, God can use that to give a better understanding to other people about who he is and how he can bring healing. That if I'm going through depression, I begin to say, what is it that I've latched onto that's caused me not to be able to respond to God's desire to bring joy into my life? You've got to be lifted up. He says, as you're lifted up, as you recognize what's actually happened to you, that you have been raised with Christ, then life will begin to make sense, but in a completely different way. Okay, I want you to understand this. We live in an upside-down kingdom. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. That means that everything, every way you think things work, it's exactly the opposite. So we talk about, okay, what am I supposed to do to gain things in life? And Jesus says, the way you gain things in life is to what? Give. Give it up. I go, now hold it, Lord. I've worked so hard to get to this spot. God says, I know. You've blown it. So what do you mean? You don't need to be doing that. You're doing it the wrong way. You're climbing ladders, and I've got an elevator right behind me. Instead of allowing me to lift you up, you're busy trying to climb your ladders. You can see better, and you can't even get up to the top of the fence. You can't see what life is about. You're in the midst of a maze, and you're wondering why it's so hard. And I'm trying to tell you, if you just let me lift you up, you will see everything you need to see. And when you come back down, you'll be able to walk directly into the spot you need to get out of that maze. And you can enjoy the journey of struggle. You can enjoy the journey of pain. You can enjoy the journey of joy. Whatever journey he puts you on is the one he wants you on. And that's the cry of Paul. He says you need to be lifted up. You need to gain a vision that you can have victory over all the struggles of life. As long as you simply are lifted up and begin to get this mindset and this heart set. You've got to have a heart set and you've got to have a mindset. And that's how you begin to get lined up with what God wants for you. Paul keeps this again. Again and again he says, you tend to keep focusing on religion and on recovery, on rationalizing, on rebuilding. And he said, there are no ladders high enough to take care of what it is you want to do. You must get into the elevator of God and allow him to lift you up. He will. He wants to. You just have to choose to let it happen. Many of you here look at me and say, Pastor, it can't be that easy. Oh, it is. And it's that hard. Because you will work everything you can do to not do that. You will work against God in every possible way to not do that. Because you think the things you have are good enough. And you're comfortable enough what you have. And God is saying it's not about what you have. It's about what you can give. Since then you have been raised with Christ, be lifted up. He says, if you get caught up in all these other stuff, it's just a false humility. It doesn't bring about any kind of true transformation in your life. You must be raised up. It's interesting if you go into the scriptures to find out this term is used. It's used twice by Jesus. He only uses the term twice. Agario is the word, meaning to be lifted up. And the first time he uses it in relationship to somebody called Jairus' daughter. Jairus' daughter. Now, those of you know your, your gospels, you remember that 
Jairus' daughter was the first person that Jesus raised from the dead. She was dead. She had completely died. She was laying there. They were moving her away. And he said, let me come and see her. And they laughed at him. What are you talking about? And he goes in and he turns to her and he says these words, Ekero, be lifted up. Get up. Get up. And she woke up. And he says, give her some food. She's hungry. And the people are astounded. What is going on here? That this is a God who can lift us from the dead. Second time is Lazarus. Lazarus. This is the huge miracle before Jesus has lifted up himself. This is the miracle of miracles because he's been dead for three days. He's been dead. He's buried. He's wrapped up in bandages. He's pushed away and the tomb has been closed on him. Mary turns to him and says, Lord, if only you'd come sooner. He says, oh, but you're going to see the glory of God. But Lord, you should have come sooner. He says, you have no idea what's about to happen. He gathers a crowd around him. He walks up to the tomb and he says, somebody moved the stone away that had covered up the tomb. And they're going, he's gone crazy. He's nuts. He says, move the stone away. They move the stone away. And he speaks and he says, Ecrero, come out. Be lifted up. And the dead body that the people said, but Lord, he stinks. His body is decaying. The dead body comes out of the tomb. You want to have a scary time? And everybody's going, what on earth? And he turns to the people and he says to them something very spiritual. Take off the bandages. Take off the bandages. And Lazarus becomes the guy who declares what happens when you die and come back. And he starts telling everybody what happened. And he is the point which is used to force the Pharisees and the high priest to put Jesus to death. He said, he's gone too far. We're done. And they begin the process in which they're going to crucify him on the cross, not knowing that the very thing they're doing is exactly what God wanted them to do, what he intended all along, just as he caused Pharaoh to walk through 10 different plagues, each one for a specific purpose, a specific declaration of his ability to overcome any and all gods. At the proper time, at the proper time, they let his people go. In this case, at the proper time, Jesus died, as was previously determined by God himself, under the hands of both the Jews and the Romans, both the Jews and the Gentiles, said that no one, no one could act as if they were not responsible for what had taken place. Come forth. Paul is telling us very simply here when he uses this echrero term because he, they all remember it. They all remember this about Jesus. He's saying, don't stay dead. Don't stay dead. Be lifted up. Don't stay dead. Get on the elevator. As you begin to do that, he says, this is what will happen to you. When you're lifted up, you'll suddenly gain this little bit of sight, insight. You'll suddenly start to see something you couldn't see before in relationship to life and people and relationships themselves. 
in relationship to everything that's going on around you, in relationship to who you are and what you are, you begin to slightly see. And he says, now, when you're lifted up, make sure that you don't look down. Make sure that you allow your heart to be set. Allow your heart to be set. Rise up. Now, here he's saying, be lifted up. But now he's saying, let your heart be set. Rise up. And what he's talking about here is this emotional sense of doing the right thing. When he's talking about rising up, he's talking about once you recognize God's going to place you in this body, he's going to say, now you see, you see what's going on. See the right thing. Don't forget it. Don't forget what I've taught you. Don't forget the truth of what this is. Be lifted up and rise up. Let your heart be set. Set your heart on things above. Stay in that place. Earlier he talked about, Jesus talked about in John 15, abide in me and I in you, and then you will bear what? Fruit, much fruit. Now, he didn't tell me you're going to be groaning and struggling to bear this fruit. He's saying, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Paul is saying the exact same thing here. He's saying, look, at, once you recognize by faith that you've been lifted up, you'll begin to see things. You need to set your heart on those things that are above. You'll begin to see this truth of what you are, of who you should be, of how you should act. Keep your heart right there. Set your heart on these things. Zeteo means seek after. Search them with all your emotion and your attitude. It's, it's like singing in the morning and we sing these praise songs. And sometimes I see some of you and you're kind of singing like this. Jesus, you're all that. You like the tune. I go, do you have any idea the words that Pete has gathered together and the amount of time and effort he's put to figure out these songs so that we can sing in such a way that we begin to understand what God wants to do for us, many of which are specifically about the truth we're going to learn today. And if you watch me, and I'll be a model for you here, you watch my wife, you know, you watch others. The reason I love it when I see people up front because I know if you're up front, the reason you're up front is because you want to focus on praising God. See, when I sit in the back, you know what I do? I look at you. You guys are so pretty. Many of you are, you know, you're like, wow. You look so good. You got these nice outfits on you. I start looking all around me. I think about, and the other thing that I do, to be truthful, is I look at you. Oh, I need to pray for them about this or there's this issue. So I get, I get sidelined, and I miss out on being lifted up in this wonderful time of praise, so that God can show me the things that I need to see. See, one of the reasons for worship is to help us be lifted up, to recognize where we're actually at, and begin to see with our hearts, our emotions, all that we are, what God wants to do. And he'll begin to speak to you clearly. And you go, oh, no, i got to do that? Absolutely, you need to do that in order for you to have the joy that God wants you to have, the peace that he desires to place in your life. Jesus once said, where your heart is, your treasure will be ours also. Where your heart is, your treasure will be ours also. And I kind of do it like this. If you're not heavenly minded, you won't do much earthly good. Now, our world has flipped it around in the opposite. Said, oh, he's too heavenly minded to do any earthly good. Here's my response to you. If you're not heavenly minded, you'll never do any earthly good. You never will. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and say these words. You need to be more heavenly minded. Turn to the person next to you. Now tell them. Tell them. Don't be, don't be shy. It's not a time to be shy. You need to be more heavenly minded. You know? 
You got the idea. Now, some of you are saying, now that means, no, no, you don't get to explain. Just saying, you need to be more heavenly minded. Set your heart on things above, not things below. Focus on the sacred, not on the secular. Focus on the heavenly, not on the earthly. It's not, I need to be good, it's I want to do good. This is what begins to happen. This is what he's talking about. When you're lifted up, And you begin to understand the wonderful, glorious place that we are in Christ. I've been forgiven of all my sins. That I've, the grace has covered everything that took place in my past, in my present, even in my future. That God loves me desperately. He wants so much in my life and he wants to give me everything. Once I'm lifted up in that spot, I've forgiven my sins. I'm just going, wow, this is so great. Then God starts to show you things and your heart begins to change. And it's flooded with this emotion. He says, let the emotion in. Let the emotion in. You'll have, suddenly have this love for other people and you'll be scared by it. You'll be scared by it. You go, oh, whoa, where did that come from? It came from God. Because when your heart is some heavenly thing, what begins to happen is you begin to love people around you and you begin to care about people around you and your heart breaks for people around you and you desire to see them grow and develop because there's somebody that God loves deeply. And now what happened is you got the same love. He changed you. He lifted you up. And he says, now set your heart here. Don't allow it to go back down. Set your heart here in the things above. It's no longer I, it's no longer I need to do good. It's I want to do good. My nature has been changed. And that's what Paul is talking about. He's saying it's this wonderful thing that happened to us. My flesh still doesn't get it. My flesh still wants to be taken care of. You know, my flesh still wants to be stroked and petted. I want to eat the best food. I want to do all this stuff for my flesh because my flesh is... You know, there's nothing wrong with my flesh. It's not bad in and of itself. It's just that I, I get focused on feeding it and taking care of it and combing it and, you know, clothing it and making it look as good as I can because it doesn't look so good without clothes. I, I love clothes, by the way. The older I get, the more I love them. Because the truth is, you won't see me in any Speedos. Okay? And you'll be saying, thank God for that. You know? and, and you're right. <laughs> Hallelujah. There it is, baby. So the flesh is like, but my flesh wants all this stuff and it's trying to deter me from doing the wonderful good that God wants to do in and through my life to others around me. To be involved in this wonderful opportunity to love and to care and to lift up. My flesh wants to gossip about you. You know, it does. It's like I look at it and go, oh, I know what you've been doing. See, I'm like some of you going, uh-oh, does he know what I've been doing? No, I don't. But, but I got this, this, it's like I want to talk about you. You know, you know what you didn't do? I want to talk. I go, where did that come from? That's my flesh. That's the part of me that God says I'm supposed to be putting to death. We'll talk about that next week. Next week, we're going to talk about that. But here he's saying you need to understand and focus. You need to focus, make a clear understanding okay, that you must be lifted up before you will ever gain any sense of change. Anything you do outside of that will mean nothing. You're just wasting your time. You're playing in the shallow end of the pool. You're not doing anything that will do you any good. You must be lifted up. And he says, I've given you the power to change. 
I've given you the power to change, but you must be lifted up. You must be plugged in. You must abide, whatever term you want to use. I must stay whole and allow God to change me. I think one of the struggles that we have in Christianity is most of us want to fix our weaknesses rather than recognize the wonderful strengths God has given us, who we are and our specialness and uniqueness. And, and we tend to want to, oh, I'm, I'm going to fix my weakness. I'm going to focus on my weakness. And I'm going to fix that. How many of you tend to do that? How many of you tend to want to fix your weakness? Yeah, I know I struggle with that. I go, you know, Lord, if only I could, then I would. God says, you know, you need to stop focusing on your weakness because if you do that, you'll fail. Focusing on your weakness is kind of like this. God raises us up and he says, don't look down. You know what you do? You look down. Well, God, but I'm not and I didn't and I should and it couldn't and that's what we do. We're busy looking down. And God says, look up. Look what's all around you. This wonderful, glorious place I put you in. I've given you grace. If you do fall, you can be forgiven instantly, brought back up and continue going. That's the point of being lifted up. You've been changed. See, our struggle is that we, when we think about, how, when, if we want to learn about health, we study sickness. And that's the wrong thing to study. Divorce people, you know, we, we want to get a good marriage study. And so they study people who are divorced. I always thought that was weird. Let's study why people got divorced. Well, I'll get, did you notice divorced people always fight? People who stay married always fight too. Look at the marriages that are doing things well and follow that model. Follow the strengths rather than the weakest. If you want to deal with depression, you need to do a study on joy. Here's a practical one. Somebody I don't even like. Okay, Shaq, Lakers. What, what a guy. Yeah, sorry about that. You got to do it. Some things you got to do. Okay, this guy was phenomenal. He was with Orlando Magic. A couple of years, three years. And he did some great stuff. But he had one major problem. You know what it was? Yeah, he couldn't shoot a free throw. The guy shot less than 30% in his free throws. Dude, I shoot better than that. I shoot a lot better than that. I mean, he was just pathetic in his free throws. So in the magic, they started really working on him to try and get him to shoot better free throws, shoot better. And he was very upset and, and unhappy with the setting there. He leaves... Okay, he leaves Magic and he gets traded to the Lakers. He gets to the Lakers and the coach who was at them, I won't get into who it was, but the coach who was in continued this process. You need to get better with your free throws, get better with your free throws. That coach was fired. They brought in a new coach and his name, do you know who it was? Phil Jackson. Okay, I don't like Phil either. But I can't believe I said that. That was the flesh. Shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have said that. Bad guy. Phil's a bright, bright guy. Yeah, bright guy. Great guy. Thank you. Great guy. You know, so he gets in, and this is what he turns to Shaq. He says, Shaq, the MVP trophy should be named after you. Shaq goes, huh? He said, you are, you are one of the best inside players that ever existed. You are a post player that's absolutely incredible, and if you will continue to work on it, you can be the best that ever played the game. By the way, if someone was to ask who was the best post player that ever played the game now, guess who would they say? Yes, you agree with Judy Mubar. Say, no, Shaq. Why? Because Bill Jackson 
focused on his strengths. He says, I don't care about your stinking free throws. Forget it. It doesn't matter to me anymore. All I want you to do is focus on your strength. The result was three rings later. Phenomenal results. And by the way, his free throw percentage went from 30% to 45. <laughs> from awful to just bad. Yeah. <laughs> that should encourage you. Here's the point. Who cares if he can shoot free throws? Who cares? God gave him this phenomenal ability to do something special. And he said, why don't you look at that rather than focus on your defense? God is telling us you've got to be lifted up. And when you're lifted up, focus on the values of people around you as I focus on those values. Learn how to forgive and how to love, how to care, how to think like he thinks, how to forgive like he forgives. How to give grace as he gives grace. See, that's what our heart is set on. Values and roles of what we work with, what we live with. That's what our hearts be set on. See, the things that tear us up and divide us most often than not are divided loyalties between Christ and our own agenda. Got my own agenda. And God is saying, I, I need to be Lord of your life if you're going to experience this wonder. It's not about being saved. That's the process by which you've been brought into His wondrous grace. Now it's about living life. When you turn your eyes upon Jesus, the things of this world should grow strangely dim. But here what he's talking about is something that's amazing. And I thought everybody got it. I thought my wife this morning. I thought everybody got it. And that's it. It's a motivational problem. You see, when you are lifted up with Christ, this is what happens. He changes your motivation. He changes your desire. Suddenly you find yourself going, I want to do good. I don't want to sin anymore. I don't want to be involved in things that bring destruction to people. I want to be involved in instructing. I want to be involved in guiding and caring. I want to be involved in giving. I want to be involved in changing. I want to make a difference in this world with the life that God gave me. That's a motivational change that causes us to do different things. And Paul says, therein lies the key. If you don't have that motivational change, you're not being lifted up. You haven't yielded to God, got on the elevator, and let him take you up. You're staying on the floor, or you're busy climbing up ladders one after another. And you come and you say, well, I'll get, uh, it must be this ladder is what I got to get. Oh, well, I'll climb up this one. And every time you go, it's just not very high. What's the problem here, Pastor Lee? I am so tired of this. I just keep climbing ladders. And I go, of course you do. Because you're unwilling to yield to the Lordship of Christ and allow Him to lift you up. You cannot do it by yourself. It's not about what you do. You do because of who you are. That's the change that happens. Suddenly I find myself desiring desperately to do God's will. My heart is changed. Set your heart on things above where Christ is. And while we're in Him, we can see. Be seated with Him. Let Him lift you up and show you out. Rise up. I'll give you the quote here, and then we're going to look at a little clip and take a slight break before we go to the last section. Our hearts deal with the issue of want to do. Our hearts 
deal with the issue of want to do. So he says, be lifted up and set your hearts. Rise up. Let yourself be lifted up. Our hearts deal with our want to do. Our heads or our minds deal with the issue of what to do. But the key thing, you've got to get this. You've got to gain the want to do. Let's watch this clip by Amanda Brown. That just kind of brought home what we're talking about here in terms of this heart set. And then Paul goes to the next focus and he says, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. What, what, how, he's going, okay, Lord, that's this is what you need to do. You've got to go to the mindset next. He says, you've got to have your heart set, but then you've got to set your mind. Froneo is the word being used here. And it's a picture of, of uh, it's, it's complete, total focus. Uh, it's, I'll give you my word for the mindset here. Are you ready? Because you already have heard it so many times, and yet I just think it's so apropos here. And that's perspicacity. Okay, you know that word, right? Everybody say it with me. Perspicacity. Okay, all it is is this magical word that means, because we're going to make it mean that. Right? We're going to make it mean that. It means have the mindset of God. See with God's eyes. See with God's heart. See God's will and direction for your life. Be a perspicacious person. Be a person who has the mind of God, who is so involved with God that you find yourself understanding the next step you have to take before you even have to take it. That you wake up each morning and you begin to look at the things above that are heavenly, and you say, okay, Lord, what are the things that I need to grasp onto today that are of you, that are above myself, the great things of God? What is it that you want to say to me and speak to me today? We start to journal. We sit in his word. Every day I sit in God's word. I don't sit in God's word just to read the word. I sit in God's word and I say, God, speak to me from this section. What is it that you want me to be involved in today? Who do you want me involved with today? And over and over and over again, whatever it is he's saying to me there will be exactly what needs to be said that day because when we're placed up above and we're seeing things above as God sees things, then he begins to prepare us for the things that are down below. And every day, you find yourself prepared for him. Not the things below do we focus on. We only focus on the things above. And then the things below will be taken care of. You see, the issue is, well, we pay the price for clarity of purpose. And that price is time with God. He's saying you need to wise up. You have a mindset that allows you to wise up. Be perspicacious. Don't just perspire. Step it up. God wants to speak to you and encourage you and lead you and direct you. And you're busy washing your car. Huh? There's nothing wrong with washing your car. Mine needs to be washed, by the way. Anyone that would like to do that? It's in the back. The thing is, I, while I'm washing your car, I say, God, whose other car do I need to wash so that it might make a difference in their life in responding to you? Do I need to go to Mexico to have an opportunity to share to show people that I care. There's a difference and get involved in that process. Allow yourself to be part of it. Be part of this wondrous, wondrous picture of God as he continues to give away and give to people constantly. I love the story of, of Warren Buffett. He talked about the fact that he, he gave to uh, a friend of his some $31 billion. Did you know that? $31 billion he gave to another guy. And he said, they said, why did you give it to him? And he said, well, I gave it to him so he could be involved in this philanthropy thing. 
And he said, the philanthropy thing? And he said, yeah. I said, I don't get it. But he does. He said, Bill Gates gets it. He understands how to use it, and I don't, so I just gave him the $31 billion and said, do with it what you know is right. I, rate, I, I would like to take a billion. I know how to spend it. No Interesting attitude in relationship to who we are and who we aren't and what God is calling us to do. So he says, get ready. You need to lift up. Be lifted up. It's interesting. The word for uh, NASA is the word lift off in Hebrew. Some of you may not have known that. The word literally it means to lift off in Hebrew. And that whenever you lift off a, a rocket or any of our, our, our spaceships, it takes more effort and power and fuel to lift off than the entire rest of the journey to the moon. And see, that's really our struggle. He's saying be lifted up, and we're thinking, oh, this is easy. It is not easy. Because it means that I have to yield to God and let him speak to me and change my heart and show me the steps I need to take. That's why we've got 21 days of consecration to begin to remind us, it's not the end, it's the beginning, to remind us of how God desires to lift us up so that we might see and understand the steps that we need to take in Him and that we can respond to His direction and His guidance. Here's how Paul finishes up the Scripture after this. Then he goes on to this. For you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You are dead. You no longer are able to live except in Christ. As you abide in him, as you accept him, you find forgiveness and redemption and transformation. But if you do not, you will be the most unhappy people on earth. You will be unhappy because you have refused the reality of what God has done. When you gave him your life, it was hidden in Christ, and it's no longer yours. It's his to live through you. And the only life that you will live now is that life that he pours through your life until that final day when he appears, and then we will appear totally. The word is crypto for the word hidden. It's a hidden message a hidden message in life that you can't see until God opens your eyes to see it. Your life is hidden in Christ. We're called to rise up. We're going to ask our worship team to come up now. We're called to rise up. This is the issue of our heart. It's a decision-making process by which I say, okay, Lord, I give you my what? Heart. I give you my heart. That's all we're saying. Lord, I, I give you my heart, my emotion, my being. You remember the Ten Commandments, Yul Brenner, you know, the show, the Ten Commandments? Some of you go, what one's that? Well, there, there'll be another one, I'm sure, probably bigger and better. I don't know. Okay? We got the Ten Commandments. There's a great saying. He's this Pharaoh. And Moses comes up to him, and they've gone through all these plagues of lice, lots and lots of lice. And it's just been awful plagues. And they had the plagues of the frogs. Remember? There's frogs Everywhere throughout the entire kingdom, there's nothing but frogs. Everywhere you look, there's frogs. And Moses comes to him and says, Okay, do you want me to take away this, this plague of frogs? Pharaoh says, Yes. Probably his wife talked to him and said, Get rid of the frogs. Okay. 
says, get rid of the frogs. And Moses says an interesting thing. He says, when? When? Do you remember what Pharaoh responded? Do you remember what he said? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. The last stubbornness of his heart. Do it tomorrow. And today, God is speaking to many of you here today, probably most of you, and he's saying, I need your heart. You need to be lifted up, and I desperately need your heart. And you know what you're saying? Because I know what you're saying. You're saying, what? Tomorrow. Next Sunday, Lord. The Bears are playing today. Next Sunday, Lord. The Steelers are... Next Sunday, Lord. And God is saying, I need you now. Now is the time, the day of salvation. Now is the time for you to wise up. I love the quote in Rocky. And the, the old guy turns to him and he says, after he talks to him about all this cry and this, why didn't you do this, why you didn't do that, he turns him face to face and he says, Rocky, you could have been a contender. You could have been a contender. And that's God's cry to each one of us. He's saying, you could have been. You could have been. Today's the day. Father, we come to you today because we struggle with the simple ABCs, admitting that we're sin is one thing, knowing that we've sinned is another, and then responding to you and saying, God, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my failure to respond to you and to others around me, for not loving like you have loved, for not allowing myself to be lifted up. Because I was scared. I'm still scared. It just seems so much. But we'd ask that you might lift us up anyway and help us to see. Give us a new heart. And then let's set our emotions on what you have for us. And even our minds, Lord, that we might give up those things of this world that we continue to hold on to, thinking maybe today they'll get better. They won't. Help us today to yield to you and to follow you with all our heart and soul and mind, to believe that you are the only one that can change us. And then, Lord, we confess you as Lord and Savior. We say, Lord, change us. Lord, change us starting today. Change us starting today. I hope that's your prayer. Say it to him. Say, oh, Lord, change me starting today. Lord, change me. I want to be lifted up. I want to.